This is Voices of Research. I am Mikael Tristadius, and you are listening to Radio Moreni. Here we are again, and today we have Johannes Rike. Welcome. Thank you very much. So, where are you from, and how long have you been in Finland? I was born and raised in Switzerland, but I'm also my, my father is French and my mother is German, and I moved to Finland in 2017. That's four years ago, if my math is correct. Yes, yes. almost yes. But I was here before in 2012 for half a year during an exchange program. Oh, as a as a student. As a PhD student, yes. Oh, yes. Right. Were you at the same university? Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Was that one reason why you chose this university as your? That was certainly one of the reasons because you know I I've stayed in touch with my friends from that time ever since, and also I don't think I would even have heard about this job if I hadn't been here before. So yes, that was definitely one reason why I chose Tampere. But in the end, how did you end up here, and why this university? Was it the only reason that you happened to be here earlier? Well, that is the personal reason. Then there are a couple of academic reasons as well. Um, from my time in Tampere in 2012, I I knew that Tampere has a strong focus on questions of space and place in literature, and my own research basically revolves around these questions. And um, I was also at that time starting to think about a research project about the Arctic, about representations of the Arctic in contemporary literature and other media. Um, so it, you know, Tampere seemed a good spaces for that as well. You know, it's not quite in the Arctic yet, but certainly high up in the north. Yes. Are you implying that there will be a new ice age or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, science will tell us otherwise. Uh-huh. But um, well, how did you become a researcher? Was it always planned, or did this opportunity just somehow appear to you? I actually, I always very much enjoyed university, but I always said to my friends, "I'm never going to do PhD." That's clear. Then things turned out differently, and it just sort of happened. And I, I then decided that through my MA project at the time, through my master's thesis, I became very interested in in that project and wanted to extend it. And then things happened, and I started to get a position, a first position at the University of Zurich in Switzerland, and I've stayed ever since. Well then, to business, so to speak, your research, if I'm not mistaken, at least some of it revolves around Arctic geography. You mentioned yes that already earlier, but how would you describe it yourself? What is it about? Right. So, so this is a project that is a very collaborative project that is currently funded by the Academy Finland. So it's a four-year project running until 2023. And what we are interested in in that project is basically the fact that there has been a renewed interest in the Arctic, not only in science and global geopolitics for obvious reasons. The climate is changing. Scientists are going to the Arctic to find models for understanding climate change because the climate is changing much faster in the Arctic. But also there is a lot of information about the climate in, in the Arctic ice shields. Um, but that's the scientific side of, of things. And then there is a geopolitical side to it as well with the possibility of arctic ice melting all kinds of nations are becoming interested in the resources in the arctic such as minerals and oil but what is less frequently discussed is the cultural side of this and at the same time in the last 20 years or so there has been 
an increasing number of fictional texts, of TV series, of films and so on that are set in the Arctic, both by outsiders, both by filmmakers and authors and so on from the South, but also by people from the Arctic. And it's that cultural side of things that we want to look at. And we want to look at how the Arctic and its geography, for example, the frozen ocean or snow and ice or coastlines, how these aspects of the geography are imagined in different texts and in different media. In media. So do you feel like, for example, people from maybe Finland who mm-hmm. have experienced ice, snow mm-hmm. and the well, almost Arctic environment their whole life, compared to maybe someone from California or something, how would their representation of the Arctic environment differ a lot, even though they have the internet and Uh everything they could imagine in order to research? Mm -hmm. Do you think that they represent the Arctic very differently? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the 19th century, for example, in the 19th century, Many Europeans went to the Arctic to find you know, the North Pole, to find a way of finding the Northwest Passage as a way of traveling through to the Pacific, basically. And there were all these expeditions, most of which were failed, like the Franklin Expedition is a famous example. And in the context of these expeditions, these views of snow and ice, if we take that example from the South, were very often a kind of idea that there is this you know, this huge landscape of snow and ice that swallows everything up and where humans can't live. So there is an aesthetic tradition at that time that is referred to as the sublime, which is basically an understanding of landscape as something that inspires both awe, fear and fascination. But also it's very much something that lends itself to an understanding of landscape that overwhelms humans. Humans have no place in it. It, it's something, it's bigger than humans, it's something that defies life almost. So there is a tradition in the South, that we can see that tradition going on until today, that the ice and snow of the Arctic is something that is somehow outside of life. It's a kind of an empty wasteland, an empty overwhelming space. Whereas if you look, for example, at how Inuit think about snow and ice, they think about ice in a very, very different way. Ice for them is full of life. Ice is a space where they hunt, it's a space where where stories happen, it's a space where all kinds of different forms of life come together. So, and I think there are political implications of this. If you imagine the ice, for example, as something that is an empty wasteland, it's quite easy to project fantasies onto it. It's quite easy to say, well, it's ripe for the picking. It can be taken and developed by anyone who wants, basically. But if you see as the ice as something that is full of life, that is basically a space that stories come from, then it becomes a human space. Then it becomes something that already has inhabitants. So what I'm saying here is that basically the way that geography imagined matters and it also matters politically. Obviously, you originate from Switzerland. You have experienced ice and snow as well. But what got you interested in this topic? I've always been interested in the North and in the Arctic. What you said just now about having experienced maybe similar conditions in a way in Switzerland, I think that is maybe one of the reasons. Like, I spend a lot of my childhood and my youth in the mountains, both hiking in the summer and skiing in the winter. And maybe on some level, that is one of the reasons of why I'm drawn to the North. I don't know. But I've also spent quite a lot of my holidays in, before I was even interested academically in the Arctic, you know, I had spent quite a bit of time in Greenland. I had spent quite a lot of time in other northern countries as well. 
Well, what are you currently working on? If I understood right, at least one of your projects you have at the moment is connected to trains and mm -hmm. railways, yes? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's another project. The Arctic project, as I said, is very collaborative. I'm the project leader of that project, but um, we have collaborators from Greenland, from Sápmi, from the Canadian Arctic and, and all over the world, basically. The project you're referring to now is my own project. That's a book project that I'm working on, have been working on for a while. And it's basically a look at train journeys in literature, film and other visual arts as well. In the Arctic environment? No, no, no. This has nothing to do with the Arctic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Completely no, no. different. Yes. But how did you begin that? I mean... If you have worked on Arctic environment for a long while, how did you jump to the trains and railways? Actually, the two projects originated roughly around the same time. If anything, I worked on the railway project earlier than on the Arctic project. But I've I've been very busy with the Arctic project in the last few years, so sort of I've it's delayed the trains project a little bit. But actually that's an older project. How did that begin? How did you mm -hmm. get interested in that subject? Mm -hmm. I mean the Arctic project and the train project, they might seem very different from each other, but what links them is an interest in space and geography and how space is experienced and then turned into stories as well. Um, I, I can't really tell you how the project began, but I do know that I've always been extremely interested in trains and in traveling by train and in, in traveling in general, I should say. And I suppose it's both a fascination with space and geography and an interest, an interest in different forms of traveling that is at the beginning of that interest. As you mentioned, that it's about literature a lot mm -hmm. that you study, but both of these topics could involve a lot of traveling and your interest in traveling. Mm -hmm. Have you traveled in order to research these topics? Yes, I have traveled a lot by train, not specifically for this project, but I, I did once just before I came to Finland, for example, I traveled from Switzerland to Mongolia by train, um, which was a sort of a trip of about two months and I then stopped in various places. I did travel, you know, in a very pragmatic way. I did travel to the, the National Railway Museum in York. They have a large archive where I did some research for the current project. And I'm actually going to travel to Greenland soon, COVID permitting, as always at the moment. Um, if everything goes well, I will spend about four or five months in Greenland in the spring, starting from March, in connection with the current project, because we also have a collaboration with the University of Nuuk in Greenland. Well, this book project will come to an end at some point, mm -hmm. as you finish the book. Mm -hmm. But the collaboration might still go on for, mm -hmm. well... Who knows for how long? Do you have any other project ideas in coming for the future? I have too many ideas, um, <laughs> if anything. Uh, so at the moment, I'm I'm more faced with a situation where projects have accumulated, and I need to make sure that I manage to finish them before I can, you know, move on to anything else. So I think for the next few years, I'll be kept busy with with these two projects, and then there's a third bigger project that I'm working on, which is connected to islands and island imaginations which I wrote my first book on island imaginaries, on islands in literature and film. And I'm now working on the second book with four colleagues from different countries where we are looking at the poetics of island spaces in a range of media from literature to film and computer games. So this is the third bigger project I'm working on at the moment. So I, I sort of I don't want to 
look too far ahead at this point because I'm telling myself I need to I need to finish what I'm doing right now. But ideas are there more than enough. I'm I, one idea for example is another collaborative project with a former colleague from Zurich. We once taught a lecture on oceanic encounters and by that we meant accounts whether real life accounts or fictional accounts of different cultures meeting at sea or meeting on the beaches of various lands and we would like to turn this into a book we would like to turn this into a book about cultural encounters at sea and how they have been imagined it's a familiar feeling to know that there's just so many projects that things you could do and you want mm -hmm. to begin all of them and then but in the end if you do that nothing gets actually done so it, it's better to focus on a few ones, finish them, and then move on to the exactly. next ones. Because there will always be new ideas. Well, there's a lot of research for you in the future. But what kind of a future in general these topics do you see? Is the Arctic research important right now? Will it be important future? Are you a pioneer of these studies? And what about the railways and traveling? Are they hot stuff at the moment or will they be even more important in the future? The Arctic is certainly a hot topic at the moment. And I think it will continue to be a topic that will attract a lot of interest for the next, next couple of decades, simply because at the moment the Arctic has become so visible in public discourse in a way that it simply hasn't happened before, at least not to this extent. As I said before, I think a lot of that space is taken by the natural sciences. Um, but there is also an increasing number of cultural and literary scholars working on questions that are related to the Arctic and to the North. So I, I think there is a strong research community in this field at the moment that will continue to exist for quite a while. I could say something similar about the railway projects. Although there I will say what is maybe a little bit different there is that there simply isn't a single book-length study that covers British and American railway imaginaries or railway fictions in a comprehensive way. There are more specific studies. For example, there is a good book about trains in early cinema, in silent cinema, and more local studies. But there is no broader discussion of railway fictions in British and American contexts. So I think the book will be maybe pioneering in that sense. But at the same time, there has been an increasing interest in mobility studies, for example, that has come out of the social sciences, but also increasingly out of cultural studies. So there's a whole set of scholars from a whole range of disciplines that are interested in the links between human mobility and technology and questions of power and questions of culture. And I think the book will certainly be a contribution also to that quite new and exciting field of study. Is there something you'd still like to talk about about your research that I have missed? Perhaps one thing that I could mention in the context of the railway project is uh, an idea for a conference and I'm determined to go through with this idea whether it's you know in the near future or in a couple of years time I would like to organize a conference on railway fictions, but perhaps also railway cultures more generally, or even cultures of mobility more generally, that will take place on a moving train. So the conference would probably be on the train from Moscow to Nice in France, or possibly the Moscow-Paris train, you know, that's still to be decided. So it will be sort of a two and a half day train journey, and the presentations will be taking place on the train. And we'd be using the space of the train for that conference. And we are also planning to take a poet, a filmmaker 
and two architects with us on that journey. And the filmmaker will produce a short fictional film. It's a friend of mine who is based in the UK and, and is sort of starting a, a successful career as a filmmaker. And um, the topic of the film will be connected to that of the conference. And uh, the poet will also be working with the participants of the conference and be producing poetry during the journey. So it's a very mobile idea for a conference and one that I think you know hasn't been done in this way and that I'm very excited to see through. Definitely an interesting idea. Too bad that at the moment it can't be arranged, but hopefully in the future. It can't be arranged yet, but it can be planned, luckily. That's a good point. I would suggest the train from Moscow to Paris as, well, who doesn't want to end up in Paris? That's very true. That's very true. The advantage of the other train is that it's longer and it goes through seven or eight countries. So that would be an added bonus. Both are good options. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me here today, Johannes Rike, And we'll hope that the situation with the whole world becomes more normal. So this interesting conference could be arranged. Thank you very much, Mikael.